Good morning, I'm Anna Marie, and it's time again for Focus. Today we're going to talk mainly about allergies, so we've gone straight to somebody who can tell us all about that, Dr. Basil Kawash. He is an assistant professor at Vanderbilt University in the Asthma Sinus Allergy Program. Is that correct? That is correct. All right, so are you seeing a lot of people for allergies this time of year? Is it worse than ever? Is it worse this year than last year? Is there any difference? I think there is a difference. I think really every year we're seeing that the allergy seasons tend to get longer, and we're seeing this really around the world. Um, Nashville is a particularly bad place for allergies geographically because to our east, about 50 miles east of us, we have uh, what's called the Cumberland River Basin or the Central Basin of Tennessee, what some people call it. And you can imagine that the winds that are blowing from the west to the east, they don't really have anywhere to go once they hit that basin. It's kind of like they're pushing up against the wall. So all the pollens that are being released by plants around this time of year, summertime pollens and maybe some residual spring pollens uh, from trees mm-hmm. are all kind of collecting above the city. So that, that really poses a challenge for people who have allergies that live in this area. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people say that climate change is driving the longer allergy seasons, the longer pollination seasons. So trees are blooming earlier in season. And of course, that's Again, the longer your allergy season is, the more you're going to suffer, unfortunately, unless you get treatment. So is that what tends to trigger people's allergies? It's the trees and plants that are in bloom? It's a great question. Everybody's different. Um, some people will be allergic to trees, but not to grass. Some people will be allergic to weeds, ragweed especially, but not to trees. And some people will just be allergic to indoor things like dust mites, dog, cat. Some people can be allergic to just about everything out there. Yes. And can be sufferers really all year round. So really the uh, the challenge is trying to identify when somebody's having really bad allergy symptoms, trying to identify what their allergy triggers are. Pollen is the thing that people tend to associate the most with allergies. Mm-hmm. So certainly when we're talking about outdoor allergies, getting back into the world, a lot of people have been minimizing their activities, uh, including some of their recreation this past year due to COVID. And now they're stepping back out of their doors And it's almost like they forgot that this entire world of allergies existed out there. That's right. Yeah. Do you think our immune systems were affected by not being out in it for a year? Some people argue that. It's tough to say. There's not really any evidence of that that I've seen. So personally, I'm not buying it. It's probably more of a psychological thing. Like once you're away from something, you know, and if you haven't experienced it in a long time, you forget how bad it is if you have bad allergies. How do you know if whatever you're experiencing is an allergy symptom? Are there specific things that will tell us this is probably an allergy? It can be tough. It can be really tough to separate it, whether something is an allergy or something is a cold or something is, you know, something potentially even more serious than that, like uh, the COVID infections. Uh, there, There have been cases where people have thought that they had allergies and been tested and found to have COVID, unfortunately. So even among doctors, it's not there, there's not a perfect test to distinguish all those different possibilities. Um, if you're really concerned about it, go and see your doctor, especially if you've been having a lot of upper respiratory symptoms, sneezing, stuffy nose, itchy eyes, or runny nose, etc., uh, for several days. Itching, especially of the eyes and of the nose, is a pretty strong sign that this could be allergy. Oh. So, yeah, that, that's what I tell people the most, is that if it itches, it's probably allergy. It's not a perfect prediction, but... Mm-hmm. It's it, it's pointing us in that direction. If you have a fever, on the other hand, probably not allergy, probably something that you should go and get checked out. Right. I have a a, a friend who had a, an itchy back mm. and had like little bumps on his back and he was scratching all the time. Oh, wow. And his 
dermatologist put him on allergy, regular allergy medicines, like one of the typical over-the-counter ones. Sure. And after taking that regularly, a lot of that went away. And he had been living with it, thinking it was just somehow, for some reason, my back is itchy. Yeah. And apparently it was allergies of some sort. I think a lot of people may have issues that they don't realize could be allergic reactions. I think you're right about that. And that's something that I have experienced a lot over the last year with seeing patients is that there are quite a number of, um, of conditions that people just don't recognize as being potentially allergic. And the opposite is true, though, too. Mm-hmm. Um, people can sometimes assume that something is an allergy, and we run all the tests, and really we don't see any evidence of that. Oh, So you, you really need the experts to uh, provide some insight and to, to help you reach that conclusion. I'm glad you brought up the skin issues, too, because, of course— People don't always recognize what uh, whether their rash is allergic or not allergic, and it, it can be confusing to try and make that distinction. Mm-hmm. Most rashes are n- not allergies. Most things that happen to our skin, kind of like your friend, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of times that's not going to be an allergy. Mm-hmm. In his case, it turned out to be one. It was an allergic reaction to some of his prescription drugs. Mm, yeah. That kind of allergy. Sure, yeah. And, and that can happen. Uh, you can have allergic reactions to shampoos, soaps, things like that that show up in your skin. Right. You can also have just the normal environmental allergies. Grass especially is a big one, where if you're allergic to grass and it gives you itchy eyes and runny nose and uh, maybe a little bit of shortness of breath, you roll around in it and it shows up as a rash on your skin too. Whoa. That's something that can happen, yeah. So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating phenomenon when you really start to think about all the different ways that this can show up in a person's body. But it, it's not always easy to try and make that characterization right away. You mentioned shortness of breath from an allergy. Is that a, sometimes a typical symptom or is that when you go, I'm short of breath, I need to go ahead and see my doctor? Mm. It's usually not that dramatic. It's usually not such a thing where, you know, if you're having an allergic reaction to the environment where you'll be so short of breath and experience that chest tightness where Mm. you're like, I need to run and see the doctor right away. Usually it's more of a gradual thing. It's I've spent all day outside. Maybe my other allergy symptoms are acting acting up, itchy eyes, et cetera. Mm. And I'm starting to feel a little bit short of breath. And a lot of times that can be a sign of asthma too. Allergies and asthma really overlap pretty closely, even in adults who maybe didn't even have asthma as a kid. Really? If you, yeah, uh, it can certainly happen. Do, they, does, do allergies seem to trigger asthma? They do, in many cases. There are about, we, we think that about two-thirds of asthma cases, maybe even more, are related to, uh, how should I say this, the, the arm of the immune system that deals with allergies is involved in two-thirds of cases of asthma. Wow. So allergies can be a really, uh, yeah, a, tr- a trigger for people with asthma to develop asthma symptoms, absolutely. What are typical treatments for allergies? Does it differ if it's someone who has asthma? It does differ because you also want to treat the asthma. And somebody who has asthma, you can't just treat the allergies and say, okay, uh, I've solved the problem. A lot of times the problem is a little bit deeper than that. You really need to try and focus on what's going on with their lungs and the uh, structural parts of their lungs too. You know, inside the airways of the lungs, things you have to do to try and treat whatever um, inflammation can be causing symptoms that's that's deep within the airways of the lungs. But treating allergies is part of it. And I think when you're talking about allergy treatment, it depends on the patient a lot. Some people can get away with just, I'll go to the supermarket or the drugstore and grab an over-the-counter um, antihistamine drug. And if that's for you, if you can just take that when you need it and your symptoms go away and you feel good otherwise, then great. 
I think that's fantastic. And, you know, I think that that population, that's a, that having those medications available is a really good option. For the people that still struggle with allergies and their symptoms are really bothersome, like the ones I was telling you about before where they're having symptoms all year round, that's the, that's the group that really benefits from having testing and trying to really identify what their triggers are, what things they're allergic to in the environment. And then once you have that information, you can guide them towards either avoidance or controlling the things that they're allergic to, their exposure to it as much as possible, or treatment through allergy immunotherapy or allergy shots. Most people with allergies aren't going to need that. Some are going to really benefit from that. What is allergy immunotherapy? The idea of it is that we are giving people the thing that they're allergic to. So it's actually kind of holistic when you get down into it. Let's say I test you, Anne-Marie, and you are allergic to dog. Mm -hmm. And you have a dog at home. So if I'm treating you with allergy immunotherapy, I'm diluting the dog protein that you're allergic to. I know it's weird to think about. We dilute it down to a very low level to the point where you're not going to have an allergic reaction to it. And we give it to you as a shot. And then over time, you keep coming back into my office. And every time you come in, I give you a slightly larger amount of that dog protein that you're allergic to, increasing it gradually up to the level where you're not going to have an allergic reaction the next time you're at home with your dog. It can so, take months to reach that level, but that's the doing? idea of it. What is it doing? What is it making your body do? Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's really interesting. It's really fascinating. It's pretty well understood and well studied. I wouldn't say it's 100% well characterized, but the idea of it is that we are training your body's immune system to not recognize the thing that you're allergic to as a threat. Oh. Because that's what's happening when you're having when you're experiencing an allergic reaction. It's your body's immune system identifying something that is non-threatening as a potential threat. Dog probably won't kill me, body. You don't have to fight it. Right. Wow. Just breathing in the dog dander is definitely not going to kill you. Whether or not, you know, uh, Cujo is out, yeah, (laughs) is on on the loose. But it's our body's immune system doing something that uh, is, it shouldn't be doing. And that kind of leads, and I don't know if you can address this or if this is part of where you are, but that kind of leads me to think about people who have uh, autoimmune, autoimmune disease, disease yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is what? It's different. It's not the exact same as allergies. So I would say autoimmune disease is your immune system inappropriately attacking your body. Your, yourself. Yeah, yourself. Exactly. Allergy is your immune system inappropriately attacking other things in oh. the environment. Okay, gotcha. So it's not so much self-directed. It's directed against other more innocuous things that you're either breathing in or eating mm-hmm. and it, your body is recognizing them as something that needs to be eliminated almost like a virus or a bacteria or a parasite. Are those two things treated similarly? So autoimmune disease and allergy are typically not treated in the same way because the types of immune reactions that you get are also different. Okay. There's a, it's actually different branches of medicine. So people with autoimmune disease are more likely to see a rheumatologist somebody who specializes in that type of disease, people with allergies, much more likely to see an allergist. But, you know, we overlap. We share a lot of patients with each other. Oh, The immune system is the immune system. So somebody who has a problem in one part of the immune system is probably more likely to experience a problem somewhere else too. Like the allergy-asthma connection. Sure, yeah, and we manage asthma too. I mean, we see asthma as um, almost an extension of allergic disease in a lot of ways because of just how much overlap there is. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. kind of management is there for asthma? Is it the same 
that was 20 years ago or have things changed? What's the latest? Things have changed quite a bit, especially when we're talking about people with severe asthma. There were cases of asthma where people 20 years ago, like you just said, maybe weren't getting relief with the medications that we had available. We now have targeted biologic medications. And I know that sounds very fancy and almost like science fiction, but we now have ways of, with an infusion medication, controlling even the most severe cases of asthma Wow! by, yeah, by, by almost biohacking the immune system. You can think of it that way. Our approach to asthma still relies a lot on inhalers, still relies a lot on good education and making sure that patients really understand what their asthma triggers are and a lot on lifestyle because as um, I and many others like to talk about, you know, we're learning that, um, for instance, exercise is hugely important for people with asthma, uh, even though a lot of people with asthma may be hesitant to exercise. We still find that people who do exercise, you're training your the muscles that are involved in, in opening your lungs, you're training them to, uh, to be stronger, mm-hmm. and you're also training your lungs to be able to handle a certain amount of respiratory stress that comes with exercise because of the heavy breathing that you experience during that time. Mm-hmm. You can almost train your body to be able to tolerate heavy breathing to the point where if you are having asthma symptoms, your body doesn't automatically go into overdrive. It, it, it almost controls that and allows you to take a little bit better control of your asthma. Wow. I think, yeah, I think we're, uh, I mean, asthma is an exciting area to be involved in, uh, in treating right now. And we're learning so much more about this range of diseases and all the things that we can do to treat them. We have new treatment options available, those biologic infusions I was telling you about. And we understand all the things that we can do with our to promote a healthier lifestyle in asthmatic patients much better now than we used to. I want to ask you about the lifestyle in in controlling all of it, but the would you say the bio uh, biologic infusions? Can you um, give us a layman's term? Biohacking the yeah. That sounds fascinating. Right. I see your eyes light up. To be honest, it seems you say that's an exciting. Mm. Uh, field or something, I, I can see that that excites you. Because Are you sure it it's is, not just the glow from the screen? It could be the, the glow yeah. from the screen, but it does yeah. seem like it excites you, the the changes it that does, have been made no. and the progress and the what we can do. It certainly does. Um, so the idea of a biologic infusion is that it's essentially an off switch for part of the immune system that is overactive in a disease like asthma. I mean, we use them for, and again, I don't want to give the wrong idea that we're just using these things left and right right now. We're very carefully selective about who gets this kind of treatment and who doesn't. Right. But when we recognize that somebody, let's say somebody has a very severe allergic type of asthma, Mm -hmm. which means that this part of their immune system is overactive and is overactive in ways that are inappropriate. It'd be one thing if this immune system was overactive in response to something that it was necessary to try and fight off like say a really bad parasite infection or something that is pretty rare. But if this part of the immune system is overactive and it's not really doing anything with that overactivity, all, all we're getting is the downsides of it, mm-hmm. then we are interested in finding a way to try and temper that down. Usually that was up until you know the last few decades, that was done with steroids. The problem with steroids is they have all sorts of bad side effects. Ah. They're really cheap. You can get them easily, but... It's not a good idea to be on uh, a steroid that you're taking by mouth for months to years or however long, decades, Mm -hmm. because of all the negative side effects you can get from it. The biologic infusions, like I said, they're targeted biologic infusions. We're not just turning off the entire immune system, which is essentially what a steroid can do. 
oh. uh, or a, a huge part of it. Yeah. It's not like an immune system blackout. It's almost like rather than shutting off the power grid, we're finding the one light switch that we need to turn off Whoa. and flicking it down. And that is allowing us to really improve people's quality of life and asthma and improve the course of their disease because we're very targeted towards the part of the immune system that has gone haywire. That is amazing. That's fascinating. And it really I, is. I know there are people listening who had no idea and are like, well, it was not like that in my parents' time or my mm. grandparents' time because we've made these advances so quickly. Right. You said in the past couple of decades about some of this. Yeah, we have made quite a few advances, and it's really necessary that we've been making these advances because the rates of allergy have been increasing in the population. I mean, more kids now are born with allergies than ever before, and that's true for all different kinds of allergies. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, that's true for food allergies. That's true for environmental allergies. Asthma, there are inner city populations where uh, asthma is growing at a rate of 2% per year uh, among newborns, or you know, not newborns, but children below a certain age. And it's, it's almost created this population crisis where we need to find answers to both preventing these new uh, allergy cases from developing and hopefully trying to reverse this trend. And at the same time, treating the people that have the huge population of people now that has all different kinds of allergies. Are there, if you're just joining us, I'm Anna Marie and this is Focus our guest today is Dr. Basil Kawash. He is an assistant professor at Vanderbilt University in the Asthma Sinus Allergy Program. And we're talking about all kinds of allergies and asthma and uh, ways to treat it. You mentioned more people born, more people with allergies now than ever before. I heard somebody wondering out loud recently if it was just because we have more ways to diagnose what's going wrong. But it actually is more people with allergies and asthma I think increasing recognition is definitely part of it, but I, I think there's no question based on the evidence that the actual rates of allergies and asthma are much higher than they used to be in the past. Um, there's a lot of speculation as to why we don't fully understand it. We think, for instance, that I, I had told you earlier that you know an allergy is the immune system responding to something that it really shouldn't see as a threat. A lot of people say that's because our immune systems now are bored when we're growing up in the way that they didn't used to be 100 years ago, 200 years ago, because we've sanitized the environment so much. And, and we're not we, eating dirt. We're not eating dirt, no. We're washing everything before we eat it, and especially when you're a kid and your your immune system is basically being trained to interact with different things in the environment. Mm -hmm. And if you're not getting enough germs, then some people will say that, hey, this is the problem. We're not introducing kids' immune systems to germs. Those immune systems aren't developing in the right way and that's why the kid is prone to developing allergies and have an immune reaction against things that are totally harmless. Because suddenly this completely foreign thing comes into your life. Exactly. I don't want to suggest that that's been proven because it hasn't, but it's a hypothesis that a lot of people buy into. And you can probably guess which way or my feelings towards this hypothesis, excuse me. But I, I think that there's one other important thing that I want to talk about here, which is early introduction of food. So a lot of people, believe it or not, don't introduce certain foods into a child's life until they're several years old. And we've actually learned within the last decade or so that earlier, the earlier that you can introduce the child, the growing child, to foods that are likely to cause allergies, including peanuts, including tree nuts, almonds, sesame, egg, 
milk, things that can be not only very triggering towards allergies, but also uh, be really difficult to remove from the diet if you are allergic. Right. If you can get those into the kid's diet early on, the kid is actually less likely to be allergic moving forward because you're essentially training the child's body, the growing child's body to recognize that this is food. It's not something threatening. It's something that your body can tolerate. You're, in, you're essentially training tolerance and therefore reducing the chances that the kid becomes allergic. And there've been a lot of studies that have pointed in that direction within the last 10 years. And now we're really recommending early introduction, especially when there is a high risk of allergy within the family. Let's talk more about the lifestyle mm. and the changes that we can make to lower our risks, all of us, of, of allergies and asthma and bad reactions like that. So I, I think it's, uh, it's complicated. You know, there's not one perfect lifestyle that I think I could tell anybody to do this or you know, buy my book or, or follow this lifestyle, walk in my footsteps and you'll be allergy free. I don't think it's that simple. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of lifestyle factors that go into having a healthy immune system. And there are, of course, a lot of lifestyle factors that if you do have allergies that you can adopt to make your quality of life better. Okay, let's start with the healthy immune system. Sure. We're about a year and a half into one of the, probably the worst pandemic of hopefully our lives, all of us. I think we are turning a corner in it, but I think if this pandemic has not shown people how important a healthy immune system is, then I don't know that anything will. Yeah. I think in the short term, um, immune boosting or using ways to ramp up your immune system is probably unrealistic. But I think that over the long term, there are a lot of things that people can do to try and improve the way that their body's immune system functions. So it's not so, like popping a pill that you get at the drugstore no. and boom, I'm, I'm boosted. Exactly. It's much more of making sure that your immune system is, is basically a bunch of cells and a bunch of proteins within your body that need to be, if you want to have a healthy immune system, you want that population of cells and proteins within your body to be ready to attack if it becomes necessary. Right. Your immune system is involved in fighting off infections. It's involved in policing your body for uh, poor function, cancer, things like that. Mm -hmm. And, and performing surveillance. So just like any thing that you want to um, have at the ready, you need to make sure it's well-fed, well-maintained, et cetera. So what does that look like? I think that looks like maintaining a pretty diverse diet, maintaining a diet that's rich in uh, many, many different uh, vitamins and nutrients, especially vitamin D. Vitamin D, I think we're learning, is something that a lot of people are deficient in because we spend so many so many hours of the day indoors now mm -hmm. uh, and we're not getting enough, we're not exposed to enough sunlight as probably our immune system needs. So I think that that's one aspect of it. And uh, then- Will supplements do or what do you pr uh, recommend specific foods? I wouldn't take supplements without the being under the direction of a physician. But sometimes, of course, supplements can be appropriate. Um, I think the best thing that you can do right now is- you mentioned food. I, I think maintaining a diverse diet, making sure you're eating a diet that is rich in all of the micronutrients, including minerals, vitamins and minerals that many of which you're only going to get from eating fresh fruits and vegetables. So I think that that's something that is hugely important. That's probably under-recognized right now. Okay. And I think I've mentioned earlier exercise. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, we recommend 150 minutes of moderate to uh, vigorous exercise Every week, it can be moderate exercise. You know, walking, especially briskly walking, is considered moderate exercise. So 
anybody can do it, no matter how old you are, no matter whatever other, well, with very few exceptions, um, your mechanical limitations aren't going to stop you from getting that 150 minutes per week of moderate exercise, okay. which really does help to reduce a lot of inflammation within the body. And it can really improve people's overall uh, energy level in such a way that I think can have downstream positive effects on the immune system too. Oh, okay. So the, yeah, so it's, and yeah, that's kind of a mm -hmm. long-winded way of saying that diet and exercise and sleep, of course, are all going to be things that lead to improved immune function. So Water? Yes, definitely water. Yeah, can't overlook hydration. That's, that's also um, key. And so basically, this is stuff that we've known, diet, exercise, sleep, water, <laughs> yeah. but we don't do enough to, to give us the best chance of not having inappropriate reactions with our immune system. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, I know. And when you say it that way, I'm like, well, you probably didn't need to give me that beautiful introduction <laughs> that you did in the beginning. Like, oh, assistant professor, yeah, needs to kind of come in here and tell us to sleep and exercise and and <laughs> eat fruits and vegetables and drink water. We'll um, edit this down. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like a two-minute interview. <laughs> is there anything well, else? That, because we're running out of time. You're, what you're saying is fascinating, and it is actually it is has been very very helpful. Anything else that you feel is really important that you want people to know or think about before we wrap things up? I wanted to um, address your point that your question that you asked me about the ways in which somebody who has allergies what they can do going oh, yeah. forward. So. Again, we, we talked about that briefly earlier, but um, I think, again, from the lifestyle standpoint, if you know what you're allergic to, you got to be able to understand that that's a trigger for you. That's a trigger for immune system, for your immune system, excuse me, and that sometimes it's manageable, but it, it's uh, it's something that you just have to be mindful of and conscious of. For instance, people who are allergic to their pets. I've never once told anybody, nor will I ever tell somebody to get rid of their pet, but there are things you can do to try and control and reduce the extent to which that pet allergy that you have really impairs your quality of life. Things that you could do, smart ways of interacting with your pet that like maybe- Like what, a bubble or- Of course not. No, a bubble. <laughs> so how do you interact with your pet in a smart way if you're allergic? We talked about allergy shots earlier. That's a treatment option. But in terms of other more lifestyle-based options, you can also have, for instance, keeping the pet out of the bedroom not having the pet dander all over the place that you sleep, mm -hmm. using a filtration system inside your home to not be breathing in so much pet dander, dusting, vacuuming frequently, cleaning up after the pet yeah. as often as you can. And I think that to some extent, you know, just being, mind, just being aware that this is something that you have to uh, confront and deal with. And if necessary, seeing somebody professional who can guide you accordingly yeah, uh, can make a huge difference. And if nothing else, it really helps you out psychologically too. What do you mean psychologically? That you know you have some control over it? Exactly. Yes, that's... So yeah, so I, just knowing that you... Knowing that you may have... You may run into this. Yes. When you are uh, playing with your pet. Yes. The more you understand about your own body, the more at ease you're going to feel when things start to feel a little bit off. And the more you feel like you can regain that control and recenter, mm. rebalance things, whether it's from an allergy standpoint or related to something else. You're right. Having some understanding, having a little bit of education really helps, can go a very long way. Yeah, instead of like being uh, surprised. 
Exactly. I was playing with Fido and suddenly I it hit me. It's like, no. Yeah, that's the worst. That's the the worst feeling is feeling like, you know, you have no idea what's going on and that drives a lot of anxiety. Yeah. But I think the more knowledge and the more understanding that you can have, the less anxiety that you have. And that's going to feed back into how your body responds. Doctor, you're fantastic. You've been a wonderful help. Do you have a certain place where you might guide people to go if they want to read more or learn more online? Absolutely. So I think uh, people who want to learn more about people like myself and my profession and what we do, there is the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Their website is www.aaaai.org. And they have a section for patients that is written in plain English for anybody to read and hopefully learn from. Mm-hmm. I am not the most active Twitter user in the world, mm-hmm. but my Twitter handle is at Basil, B-A-S-I-L-M-D, zero. But there's a pretty robust allergy and immunology physician community on Twitter right now. And you'll often see me retweeting information that my colleagues are putting out there and occasionally adding a little bit of commentary myself. Although I prefer the spoken word, if you couldn't tell. Yeah, I do. I can tell. So mainly inform yourself, educate yourself as much as you can. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Dr. Basil Kawash, he is an assistant professor at Vanderbilt University in the Asthma Sinus Allergy Program. Thank you for joining us today. Pleasure being with you. We're going to put links and more information on our Focus Facebook page. That's it for today. Make sure you join us next week for Focus. Focus.